0: Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com.
1: Today we've got a crazy story of revenge against a supervisor. We'll get into that in a bit, but first, girlfriend dumps me for my richer friend, so I humiliate her at work. I, 29-year-old male, met my cheating ex, 26-year-old female, at a party thrown by one of my college friends. It was five years after college, and we wanted to do a little reunion. My friends and I used to be so close in school, but after graduation, we all kind of drifted apart to focus on our careers and build a name for ourselves. So when we all had a group call, we decided that five years was too long to go without seeing each other, so we decided to throw the party. I remember vividly that day, I didn't want to go to the party. They were throwing it in Mark's Bel Air mansion, and I was staying in San Francisco. I didn't want to spend 6 hours on a bus and I didn't want to pay 200 bucks for a plane ticket, because I was pretty much broke at the time. Which brings me to my second reason for not wanting to go. Five years ago when we all graduated, I was the biggest go-getter among our group of friends. Even in college, I'd always talked about my plans to build my very own startup and I even began the process while in school everyone thought i was going to succeed and in one of our discussions i remember saying i was going to be a millionaire in five years if not a billionaire but it was five years already and i barely had up to 500 dollars in my name i had one of the best results in my class but i always got fired from my previous jobs they always complained that i was insubordinate or something i didn't care at the time because i thought my startup would take off But then it didn't. When I ran out of money, I had to fire everyone working with me and just close down. I couldn't afford my studio apartment. My dad helped with the payment every month. I know I'm saying a lot, but trust me, it's necessary for the story. So like I said, I wasn't going to the party. I called Mark and my other friends and told them I was going to be held back by work. I said I was working for a company with a strict boss and he wouldn't let me leave. This was an obvious lie, because like I said. I was in between jobs at the time, but then Mark said he was going to come over to San Francisco to talk to my boss. He was confident he could convince him to let me off for a day or two. Mark could be in San Francisco in two hours if he wanted. His family was filthy rich, and he could get on the next first class flight. How will I then explain that I was lying? Because of this, I decided that I had to go. I got to the party, and my worst fears were confirmed. Everyone else was doing better than I was mark 30 year old male was being groomed to take over his father's company ian 29 year old male was working in a top-notch media company and even kyle 32 year old male who used to be the most unserious of us all was working on his startup his was way more successful than mine he'd raised funding and his company was thriving when they asked me how i was doing i couldn't even answer i excused myself and went out of the building to clear my head this was where i met chloe She was hanging out by the pool while I sat on one of the benches. She came over a few minutes later and asked why I wasn't inside with the rest of my friends. I told her I was having some sort of existential crisis and I came out there to think. She sat there with me and asked what was going on. She was a stranger and so I felt more comfortable telling her everything, seeing that I probably wouldn't see her again. By the end of my story, she gave me solid advice that made me feel better. I thanked her and was about to leave when she told me that she also stayed in San Francisco. That sparked up a whole other conversation, but this time we talked about her. She worked in a fashion company and she came to the party with one of her bosses, who was a friend of one of my friends, I don't know which. By the end of the conversation, we exchanged contacts and promised to hang out when we got back. That was the only upside to the entire reunion party. A few weeks later, I finally found the confidence boost I needed to call her and so I did. We hung out at a coffee shop on our first date and we really hit it off. A few months later, we started dating officially. Chloe was the best thing to happen to me in such a long time and I loved her with everything I had. She supported me through all my lows, even when all I offered her was a listening ear. She used to complain a lot about one of her co-workers, Millie, and how she hated her. I used to wonder how anyone would hate her. To me, she was an angel sent from heaven. Four months into the relationship, she started having problems with accommodation, so I told her to come stay with me since she had no other place to stay. She took me up on my offer and moved into my studio apartment. I was still in between jobs at the time and actively pitching my startup idea to prospective investors. I still don't know if moving in together was what killed the charm or something, because just a month after we started staying together, Chloe completely changed toward me. She started being more distant and cold. All the gestures that she used to appreciate, like a foot massage or breakfast in bed, were now seen as major inconveniences. It's either I'm doing the massage wrong or there's something wrong with the spaghetti sauce. I didn't think it was anything serious, or maybe I didn't want to think about it, but it was. I got to find out just how much, when she called me one night to tell me she wasn't coming home that night. This was pretty surprising, as she wasn't the type to stay out late, she didn't even have a lot of friends, so when she told me she was sleeping over, I wondered with whom. When she got home the next day, I asked her where she slept, and she said it was at her boss Kayla's place. She held a little sleepover for all the employees in her circle. I was a bit relieved, but something told me I wasn't getting the entire truth from her. So I decided to do my findings. Like I said before, Kayla was a friend of one of my friends, so I just had to find out who. It was pretty easy to do that. I just had to call them one by one till Ian told me he knew her. One day during Chloe's leave, I left the house and told her I was going to meet a prospect when, in truth, I was going to see Kayla. When I got to her office, I introduced myself. Turned out she already knew me because Ian told her everything, and so we got talking. Eventually, I mentioned that Ian told me about the sleepover she held for her employees and that it was nice that she treated her employees like family. She was confused and told me she never held a sleepover. That gave me all the information I needed about her lies. I got home and confronted her about it and the only argument she had for me was that I went to see Kayla behind her back. Before I knew it, she broke up with me. She said she's tired of dealing with my broke butt anyway. That day I couldn't believe it, it was like a movie. I watched her pack her bags and order a ride. When she was about to leave, I begged her to stay, but she wouldn't. I can't describe the pain I felt when my apartment became empty once more. I didn't leave the house for three straight weeks. It was Ian and Kyle that helped me snap out of the chronic depression I was facing. The next few months were filled with highs and lows for me. I'll be doing really well one time, and I'll just backslide into depression once more. I'd call her to scream at her, and sometimes I'd beg her to take me back. Eventually, I started to heal. I deleted her number and blocked her socials. I even threw out anything that reminded me of her. The only thing of hers I left were the naughty pictures and videos she sent to me while we were dating. I was ready to move on, but fate had other plans. Mark was celebrating his birthday and he invited all of us to come over. Kyle and Ian forced me to go, and so I did. Imagine my shock.
0: As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns.
1: Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now, imagine them getting even softer over time. I'm here to tell you about Boll Brand Branch sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Brand Branch sheets get softer with every wash. They're made from the rarest organic cotton and designed to get softer over time. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee, plus 15% off your first order with code BUTTERY. So head to branch.com today. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When he introduced Chloe to me as his girlfriend, I tried to talk to her to get some answers, but she wouldn't even talk to me. So I went straight to Mark to ask him how long they'd been together. They'd been seeing each other for over five months, which is more time than we'd been broken up. That meant that she was cheating on me since we were together. I don't know how she rationalized this in her head because she knew that I was friends with Mark. Yeah, I like to keep my relationship private so none of my friends had seen her face to face, but it was bound to end eventually because we were all going to hang out again. Maybe she was hoping it wouldn't be for another 5 years. Anyways, I told Mark about my relationship with Chloe and he was upset that she lied to him. A week later, he called and told me that he'd broken up with her. It was a good start, but it wasn't nearly enough for all the horrors she put me through, all because she wanted to date someone with money. I met up with Chloe's sworn enemy, Millie, and talked to her. I didn't like Millie a lot, but the enemy of my enemy is my friend. I explained everything to her and asked her to help me get revenge. She was more than willing to. After brainstorming together, I came up with a perfect plan. I still had those pictures and videos I talked about. So i used them to set up an only fans account in her name i used a different phone and a vpn so it couldn't be traced to me when i had set it up i sent it to millie and tasked her with circulating it in the company by the time it got to kayla she was very upset the company had a policy that restricted employees from participating in anything that could make the company be seen in a bad light chloe was fired immediately and no matter how she begged and said it wasn't hers no one believed her She confronted me one time and threatened to call the police if I didn't make it right, but I'd already deleted all the evidence. So I told her to go ahead. There was nothing she could do. Her reputation was tarnished, and her friends would never look at her the same, which was good enough for me. I mean, I'm all for feeling like you got the better end of a nasty breakup, But revenge, you know what, definitely not the way to go about it. Whether or not OP should have even still had those photos at that point is a very divisive topic, let alone weaponizing and using them and potentially selling them. I mean, if anybody bought a subscription to check it out, unless it was free, which kind of even makes it worse. Also hi, I'm Steven, and if you guys enjoy crazy stories of revenge, it would be amazing if you left a like or left a review if you're listening to my podcast. Our next story is getting my revenge on my envious colleague. My name is Dr. Olivia Harper, and through my work, I've made many scientific discoveries. This was the role I was meant to play, and I've become a respected researcher in my field. Not only have I made important discoveries, but I've also built strong relationships with my colleagues. We have all benefited from each other's knowledge and have transformed a competitive atmosphere into a collaborative one. One thing was certain for me, Whatever advancement we get is not for ourselves, ultimately, it is for the advancement of science. So why not just go ahead with it as a collaborative gesture and promote more advancement? In the end, it's not about personal glory, it's about the advancement of science for the good of humanity. Yeah, this was me. And I was doing something similar to this again before I faced the greatest betrayal I had faced professionally. My team and I had spent years planning and collaborating, hoping to make discoveries that would impact the world. While I can't go into details about the experiment, I can say that it had the potential to revolutionize medical treatments, solve environmental problems, and inspire innovations in other fields. The energy in the air was electric, and we were eager to see the results. It was a high-stakes situation, but we were confident that we could make a difference we were on the cusp of a new age of scientific understanding. The delicate balance of scientific research was disrupted by the arrival of Dr. Harrison Mitchell. He appeared to be a valuable colleague at first, but his presence soon took on a more sinister tone. His credentials were undeniable, but beneath the surface, I sensed a simmering jealousy and resentment. Beneath his facade of collaboration lay an ambition that bordered on obsession, Was I mistaken, or was Harrison a rival I had not anticipated? It was clear that Harrison's jealousy had turned dark, fueling a desire to watch me fail rather than simply succeed himself. My accomplishments became a catalyst for his resentment, and the boundaries of our professional relationship blurred. It was a dangerous situation, with Harrison's ambitions threatening to derail my work and cause irreparable damage to my reputation. Would Harrison's envy drive him to sabotage my experiment or would I be able to rise above it and emerge victorious? These were the questions that plagued my mind and unfortunately, I didn't have to think about them for too long. With malignant intent, Harrison's envy culminated in a heinous act of sabotage, altering crucial data in my experiment. The betrayal was a violation of the very principles that underpin scientific integrity, and it cast a shadow over the entire project. The altered data was a ticking time bomb, threatening to undermine my reputation and damage the potential breakthroughs of the experiment. It was a dark stain on the field of science, and I found myself at the epicenter of the fallout. I was faced with a choice, to confront Harrison and expose his treachery, or to remain silent and hope that the truth would not be discovered the discovery of the tampered data was a gut punch how could someone violate the very essence of scientific integrity for their own selfish gain i was faced with a moral dilemma to expose harrison and risk my own reputation or stay silent and let him get away with it my whole world was turned upside down and i was left reeling in the aftermath In the midst of betrayal, a strong determination sparked inside me. The doubts and despair that lingered within me fueled the desire to not only regain my professional reputation, but also uphold the principles of scientific integrity. Instead of allowing my tarnished reputation to weigh me down, it became a driving force that pushed me toward redemption. I made a promise to confront the deceit that overshadowed my work and prove, without a doubt, the purity of my scientific endeavors this meant first that i had to go back to the very source of the career blowout the experiment i carefully analyzed every detail of the process and every piece of information which helped me put together my research the thorough examination wasn't just a way to rebel against the betrayal. It was a determined effort to find the pure truth hidden beneath the lies. I carefully analyzed every line of code and every tiny detail in the experimental records. I was heckbent on being precise because I kn-
0: Where's that dust coming from?
1: Needed to know for a fact and with precise evidence where the tampering had come from. I needed to match the actions with a name, not just from my suspicions but with irrefutable evidence. But it wasn't something I could do alone and I was quick to accept that part. Recognizing the difficulty of the task, I sought advice from a reliable colleague to gain a new point of view. Working together acted as a defense against feeling alone and helped us navigate the complexities of deceit. It was another task getting people on board, but I finally got them in tune after explaining that I needed their expertise to sort through my input to the research and a possible additional breach. Days turned into weeks as the lab became my sanctuary, showcasing my unwavering commitment to precision. Before my big comeback, the whole scenario got me thinking of the dangers that surface when you entrust reliance on a person. It wasn't that I trusted Harrison not to do something like this specifically. The trust was in the process of research. I could not imagine professional rivalry going to the extent of career sabotage. It was a rude awakening. My big comeback reached its peak at a fancy science event, where all famous researchers gathered. I had a clever plan and I exposed Harrison's lies, revealing not only the fake data, but also why he did it. After putting in a lot of hard work, I finally presented my findings in a way that showed they were genuine and untouched. The conference hall, where scientists usually discuss their ideas, became the place where I redeemed myself and proved my work was trustworthy. Taking a deep breath, I revealed the flawless data. A story that was free from any lies or deception. The room was filled with excitement as my once unsure colleagues leaned in with curiosity instead of doubt. The unaltered results showed that the scientific truth is strong and can survive even the most malicious attempts to ruin it. The whole audience was shocked and betrayed when they heard the truth. After I redeemed myself something amazing happened the scientific community started to recognize and appreciate my work my colleagues who were once unsure and doubtful now saw the accuracy of my research and the unwavering determination that drove me to rebuild there was something bittersweet about exposing him for what he had done i found it hard to shake off the feeling of people distancing themselves from my work because of something that could have easily have been a mistake there was something about it that felt unjustified and that is even if I would made the error myself. But that quickly went away. This was because the wave of redemption brought not only validation, but also a wave of new chances. Doors that seemed closed before were now opening, inviting teamwork and progress. Colleagues acknowledging the strength gained from facing challenges asked me to join them in collaborative projects. Honestly, most people were curious about how I found out about Harrison's wrongdoing, while others wondered why I chose to expose him that way, but I kept quiet about it to both groups. I focused on professional opportunities because I didn't have time to bring down a coworker who had already done enough harm to themselves. As my redemption echoed, Harrison found himself on the receiving end of justice. The scientific community, determined to uphold its principles, didn't hesitate to hold one of its own responsible. They investigated and used the evidence of Harrison's sabotage to take disciplinary action. The redemption that took place went beyond the scientific world and became public knowledge. I had no involvement in it, but whether I was on board or not, the outcome would surely happen. The investigation not only exposed data manipulation, but also revealed the extent of Harrison's jealousy and unethical actions towards me and others who unknowingly played a part in his scheme. The scientific media and journals quickly picked up on the story, turning it into a sensational tale of how professional rivalry which should propel scientists to compete and make innovative contributions to the field could go wrong. However, what truly mattered to me was clearing my name and ensuring that Harrison faced the consequences he deserved. Plus, while the incident is supposed to be all dead and gone, I always make sure to double check on every work before the final entry. I could not have a repeat of the Harrison case. Honestly, isn't what OP said right at the end kind of like part of the scientific process anyways? As in, not to do something just one time and accept the results or the data of that test? Whatever scientific process or research you're doing, aren't you supposed to try multiple, multiple, multiple times? That way you know for a fact that data is ironclad. Our next story is how I know that my supervisor would not bully another subordinate. My name is Sarah. More often than I would like to admit, I've heard people say my name had a bland twist to it and I was fine with that. It wasn't unique among the members of staff of the company I found myself working for either. What made me distinct was the fact that I worked diligently as a project manager. My reputation was built on the organizational skills and effective leadership I'd built over the years of training and learning. It made every team I found myself in productive. However, there was a time when nothing seemed right. The mistreatment was loud, and the source was none other than our supervisor, the notorious antagonist of this tale, Carl Mitchell. Carl Mitchell had a reputation for being arrogant and bullying, which created a negative atmosphere at work. He often condescendingly spoke to people, and his management style relied on intimidation. The team's morale and energy suffered as a result, and the performance that we kept recording was stifled. The environment was like a storm cloud hanging over the workplace, causing people to become frustrated and demoralized whenever Carl was around. It was as if the team's mood became dark and gloomy when a toxic parent came home. The scenario of things was bad enough to make people begin to walk on eggshells around him. As the mistreatment continued, the team became more and more determined to make a change. They reached a breaking point, and we decided to take a stand against the toxic work environment. Fortunately, or unfortunately for me, I was at the helm of affairs of the action. I had to lead the whole operation. Our decision came from the increasing oppression by Carl's presence. The tech company became a prison of sorts where we felt trapped and powerless. Carl's actions not only had a detrimental effect on our professional growth, but also our physical and mental health. We began to experience burnout and absenteeism increased. His bullying was insidious. He would routinely belittle me and other team members during meetings, dismissing our ideas with a condescending tone. He found pleasure in public humiliation. And behind closed doors his behavior was even worse he made targeted comments and unwarranted criticisms that eroded my self-esteem the collective sense of anxiety was so strong that some team members even considered quitting because they could not cope with the stifling environment and the pervasive sense of dread through all of this i still kept at my job this was major because i did not want to give up the number of years of commitment that i'd put into working at the company The breaking point came when I witnessed a valued team member reduced to tears after yet another public humiliation by Carl. As I listened to the sound of my team members' sobs, my heart broke knowing I could have been the one sobbing. It was then that I knew we couldn't endure this mistreatment any longer. It was okay to strive for work excellence, but not to the point of bringing members of staff to tears through your words. That was not right. From that point the decision to take matters into our own hands took form. So, in the quiet corners of our workplace, I took the initiative to initiate discreet conversations with my team members. It was necessary to make it more of a personal discussion with them due to the weight of the conversations. I had to make them feel comfortable to share their experiences without fear and process their emotions better. And as the trust between us grew, so did the depth of the revelations. Team members shared instances of condescension public humiliation and the emotional toll they endured. Through these conversations, I compiled a detailed record of Carl's inappropriate behavior, ensuring that each account contributed to the larger narrative I was trying to build. As time went on, I had to inform them of my plan to build a case against him and report him to the appropriate corners. At first, I was met with a bit of resistance after I explained what I was contemplating doing. It was understandable because of the uncertain end of the action. They were scared of the report getting back to Carl and the possibility of him making life working at the firm worse for them. I wasn't oblivious to that either, and after a while, they saw reason as to why it was a necessary risk to take, and we forged ahead. As we continue to compile evidence, we face the challenge of ensuring its authenticity and relevance. Maintaining secrecy in our covert operation presented significant challenges and inherent risks. The fear of retaliation from Carl intensified as we delved deeper into our mission. He could not know about it. If he did, there was a high chance that he would nip it in the bud, sending some members crying and some out of the building in retrenchment. I'm pretty sure I would have been a victim of the latter. The emotional toll of reliving traumatic experiences, coupled with a fear of discovery, weighed heavily on the team. It took weeks to get it all done, and whenever we felt weary or doubted the possibility of anything good coming out of what we were up to, we thought back to the emotional toll of reliving the traumatic experiences we'd faced. It was the only push we needed. My focus shifted to the pivotal task of compiling a comprehensive report detailing Carl's inappropriate behavior. As I wrote each section of the report, I felt a sense of purpose. I knew this report could bring about much-needed change, and I took care to include every relevant detail. I felt the gravity of my task, and I knew I had to do everything in my power to create a document that would be impossible to ignore. It was like I was carrying the weight of the world on my shoulders, but I was determined to bring justice and accountability to our workplace. Following the anonymous submission, a tense period unfolded as HR initiated an investigation into Carl's behavior. We didn't know what to expect, Of course, we could hope that the evidence we'd submitted would be loud enough for the human resource team to take up the case, but we couldn't be sure anything was being done to it. The silence was somewhat deafening, so the office buzzed with speculation, and each passing day seemed to stretch the tension further. The uncertainty fueled a mix of emotions from hope to anxiety, as we tried not to drown in the reality that the fate of our workplace hung in the balance. The waiting game was a test of our patience and resilience every email notification or call from hr sent a ripple of anticipation through the team we yearned for a resolution a decisive outcome that would finally put an end to the turmoil we had endured for far too long the tension within the office reached its climax with the revelation of the investigation results in a decisive move without any warning to the subordinates We received an email on a Tuesday morning that HR reached a conclusion to terminate Carl Mitchell's employment based on the internal investigation carried out based on an in-depth insight into unlawful practices reported by subordinates. In that instant, the workmail signaled the end of his oppressive reign. The news reverberated through the workplace, sparking a mixture of shock, relief and a sense of justice prevailing. It was sudden, but at the same time, it wasn't. The oppressive cloud that had hung over us began to dissipate, marking a crucial turning point in our collective journey toward a healthier work environment. In the aftermath of Carl's termination, HR addressed the team, acknowledging the issues that had festered under his leadership. They expressed a firm commitment to rectifying the workplace culture, making it clear that such behavior was not the intention, nor does it symbolize the intent of the company, and that further behavior like that from any other person would not be tolerated you know, just the usual HR tactics when someone in a leadership position in a company acts out of line. When we received HR's response, it felt like the first step towards a better workplace. It was a sign that our voices were finally being heard and that things were going to change. The team was eager for a fresh start and we began to build a new culture based on respect and trust. We felt like a weight had been lifted from our shoulders and we looked forward to a future where we could work without fear or stress. Carl's departure left a void that needed to be filled, we had to adjust to a new normal, one that didn't include his toxic presence. The change was both exciting and intimidating but we were determined to make the most of it. A new energy permeated the workplace and we were determined to create a positive and supportive environment. But it was a process that would take time and we were just at the beginning of a long journey towards a better future. The new supervisor and HR policies were like a breath of fresh air, ushering in a new era of productivity and positivity. The team began to thrive under the new leadership and morale was higher than ever before. The changes in the workplace were more than just superficial, they were indicative of a real and lasting shift in the organization's culture. And me? I could not be more proud that I decided to take action. Aside from those team members, No one knew that I was the mastermind of the whole coup, and I was fine with that. The new policies gave me what I needed. I mean, realistically, I feel like this is the kind of thing that should happen when you have a boss or a manager that is making everybody so stressed out feel like you're walking on eggshells. I mean, if you're in a working environment where you fear your boss to a point where you just feel like you can't talk to them, is there not an issue going on? Especially when it crosses over past that point and isn't just like a healthy fear of your boss but is like workplace harassment from your boss. But with that being said, that's all the time we have for today. Now if you want to hear another crazy revenge story, check out that video on the left. Or if you missed my latest video, check out that video on the right. That said, I'll see you all next time with some more stories.